the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on AM860, The Answer. And we have all the answers for you right here. We are an iHeart station, so you can catch me on your smartphone as you tool around town. I'm your international Dr. Bill. You can get me on the World Wide Web at drbillradiomd.com. Click Listen Live, 9 to 10 a.m. every Sunday morning, Eastern Standard Time. And actually, we do have some people from outside of the United States who listen to the show, and uh, I'm very flattered by that, so... I really am your international Dr. Bill. Oh, boy. Well, I was looking at the news this morning, and apparently the uh, the uh, uh, <coughs> yellow shirts are at it again, protesting in France. And there's a, a Jewish uh, intellectual professor, philosopher named Ale Finkelkraut who is a French-born Jew whose father survived the Holocaust, emigrated from Poland after the war, after World War II. And uh, he is a socialist, leftist. Uh, He's a Zionist. He's for uh, a two-state solution in Israel uh, and Palestine. And uh, he was curious. Now, don't ask me why this guy who is a target would walk up to a bunch of kids um, in yellow shirts who are protesting <clears throat> to see what's going on. And, of course, they attacked him uh, verbally and insulted him and uh, called him some anti-Semitic names, apparently. And so this has made news uh, around the world, uh, and especially in France. So the left-wing advocacy group in Europe... Uh, is lobbying the European Parliament on foreign policy issues. And apparently uh, this fellow Finkelkraut, that's his name, uh, apparently he is big in that. So I'm not sure I understand what it is the yellow shirts want in France. They don't want the taxes. They want... Uh, more money for the middle class. They want to get rid of Macron and his government. Um, it sounds a lot like socialism to me, so I'm not sure why they're attacking this guy, other than just anti-Semitic rhetoric, perhaps, 
or just unfocused. And we were talking before the show about, uh, what's her name, Octavio Cortez. Is that how you pronounce it, Bill? Close enough. Close enough. Ocasio. Ocasio Cortez. Uh, the occasional Cortex is, uh, um, who, who calls her that strange or somebody, one of the guys on air is using that. And she, uh, we were talking about her desire to run Amazon out of New York city. She didn't want their jobs. Uh, she thought they were scraps and, and Bill was telling me that she thought that the tax money that would come from or go to Amazon to get them to the city to produce more jobs and more revenue could be put into the school system. And we were both laughing at her, her ignorance of how economics works and where money comes from. And, uh, it seems to be, and maybe we were the same way when, when we were in our teens and twenties and protesting back in the sixties, we didn't understand the economics of it, but it seems to me that a lot of the people that are protesting the young people, they really don't have much of an understanding of how an economy works, where money comes from, how to generate the money, and how to generate tax revenues. I mean, you can't generate revenues if you don't have production. And if you don't have jobs, you don't have production. So I, I don't, uh, I mean, I really don't get it. Do you Do you get this, Bill? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's sort of uh, idiotic. It just has no real feel to it any rate, so I thought I would share that with you. And I also want to tell the Jewish side of the family or caution the Jewish side of the family that I would not pick up that uh, that socialist mantra and wear that around. It, it's going to create more conflict uh, between the left and the right, and it's, gonna, it's going to have the Jewish side of the family singled out, and it's going to increase anti-Semitism. I think that... Uh, the Jewish side of the family and a lot of the Catholic side of the family too needs to tone down this socialist rhetoric and come back towards the middle. That's that's really the safer place to be. We're Americans first, and then we're Catholics or Jews or whatever. And I'm off of that soapbox. Okay, so President Trump he's declared a national emergency to facilitate the completion of his border wall his border wall, our border wall between the United States and, and Mexico. And then I saw where Jim Acosta of CNN challenged the president during a speech, I think it was in the Rose Garden, where he announced the, uh, the national emergency. And he said there's been a decrease in illegal border crossings. And, of course, Trump countered that uh, it continues. And the, uh, the New York Times even said, well, actually, what Trump's doing is working. There are De there is a decrease in border crossings and there are decreases in crimes related to illegal immigrants coming across the border because of the strong actions that President Trump is taking. And so uh, it would seem logical to me that we would follow that through with completing the wall so that we lessen even further illegal border crossings because there's still thousands of people coming across. Come on. I mean, uh, you know, this is this is a 2,000 mile border and half of it is essentially uh, unprotected. So there's a lot of areas where people can come through. Now, yes, it's more difficult. And yes, it has slowed down the traffic coming across the illegal immigrants coming across. But there's more to it than just illegal immigration and people who are undocumented uh, melting into the society and 
and uh, not actually being full participants. Uh, there's the the aspect of crime, of drugs, and uh, you say, well, the illegal drug traffic has gone down. Well, the marijuana traffic may have gone down, but the uh, the synthetic narcotics has not, and methamphetamine has not. Uh, these these drugs are still coming across the border, and they're being produced either in China or in Mexico or somewhere in the uh, Central Americas. Uh, and and I think there's only one way to to slow this down further, and that's to put up more barriers. That's how you do it. Well, does the president actually have the legal authority to do this? You're hearing the left say, no, he doesn't. This is an encroachment in the const- on the Constitution, and it's criminal, and it's all these other things. It's immoral. And, of course, you're going to have to expect that from the left anytime Trump opens his mouth and announces he's going to do anything, even if he never does it. It's already illegal and moral and unconstitutional, and the man should be taken out and hung, according to the left. Well, I think that they've got a rude awakening coming. The president does have the power to declare a national emergency. This has been codified, and in 1976, under Gerald Ford's term, uh, the president was given the right to activate special powers in a crisis, and this is judged by the president what the crisis is. It imposes certain limitations and restrictions on the president, and uh, Congress can undo a state of emergency. The president has to uh, present his plan to Congress, and it has to show the costs and all of that. He has to lay everything out nicely for the But then the the president has to sign it, and he can veto it. Now, if he vetoes it, then it goes back to the Congress, and Congress has to override his veto by two-thirds. Well, you can do the math quickly. Uh, the House does not have, although it has a majority of Democrats, and it will pass a resolution. The Senate is Republican, and Mitch McConnell has said that he backs the president on this. So presumably, he'll whip his party into line, and they will not approve a resolution. Now, in the small event that they do approve a resolution, <coughs> that they do approve a resolution, the president will veto it, and it will go back, and there's just no way that either house will have a two-thirds majority to overturn it. So basically, this whole process is just going to be one to slow down the president's uh, attempt to complete the border wall. And you say, of what value is it to the president to declare a national emergency to complete the border wall? Well, this will give him the discretion to take funds from different departments that normally he would have to go to Congress for to get permission to use. So the president is the chief executive officer, and and he oversees the administration of those things that Congress says they want done, whether it's the Treasury Department, the Justice Department, Interior, uh, Energy, whatever it is that the Congress has voted into law and has funded through the annual budget. And the annual budget does not uh, uh, account for everything that will be needed in the coming year because some things cannot be foreseen there and therefore there are discretionary funds that exist in different departments for different reasons so now the president can say well 
since this is a national emergency, um, I'm taking these discretionary funds and putting them to work to build the border wall so he can take them out of justice or the, the treasury or whatever department has excess funds that are not earmarked for immediate use. So this gives him a great deal of discretion in garnering what he needs to complete this project. And I don't think that there's anybody in their right mind or anybody who has studied history or looked at the effect that a border wall has uh, that will not tell you it's a good thing. Um, unfortunately, it creates animosity uh, between the right and the left, but that's just part of the landscape. I mean, you have to take your lumps uh, in any family fight, and uh, we're going to win this fight. This one will be won. Now, it may take some time because there'll be regional challenges, too. Apparently, there are some people in Texas who are saying that it will have an environmental impact on their property. Well, the border doesn't belong to them. It belongs to us, even though their property backs up to it. You know, it's like my property backing up to a city or a state park. Uh, if the state wants to come in and put up a fence to keep poachers out, and I say it'll have an environmental impact, I don't think I'm going to win that argument. Nevertheless, we shall see. And I'm sure that the president has already got his legal team cranked up. Uh, there's not been a successful challenge to the uh, president's power to declare a national emergency. There have been challenges. Uh, president Truman was challenged, and the court said, well, the president does have this power, but there have to be some procedures put into place. And so they forced the president to then write out a plan and hand it to Congress and not just to do whatever he wants without keeping Congress up to speed so that they could uh, decide whether or not this was legitimate. Legitimate, that is, in terms of how the money is being spent. Uh, is the money being given away to cronies or, or whatever? So there had to be some, some cost accounting, so to speak. All that having... Having been said, the president does have tremendous power, and he always has had tremendous power. Uh, and this has just been codified uh, in 1976, and uh, the presidents have used these powers even before there was a declared uh, name called a national emergency. The, uh, the president uh, who first enacted this or utilized this power was Washington, and he he organized the uh, military to go out and put down the Whiskey Rebellion in, in western Pennsylvania in the 1790s, uh, which was a threat to the, to the New Republic. And they were upset because the first tax that Congress passed was a tax on whiskey. And if you want to know where all the moonshiners came from, they came from this, uh, this battle between the distillers and the Western states at that time, and uh, Kentucky and Pennsylvania and so on. And they, uh, they did not want to pay the tax. They thought that they should have the right to distill and sell booze. And uh, the federal government said, no, we have the right to tax you. And so there was a rebellion. And they actually, uh, I think they actually killed one of the tax revenuers. And then I believe that Washington, along with Alexander Hamilton, mounted up and led about ten or 15,000 men into western Pennsylvania. The uh, 
the revolters scattered, uh, the leader was captured, and Washington uh, avowed to have him tried and hung. But that was Washington's way. He was in some ways like uh, like uh, our president, President Trump. Washington would make these grand statements, and then after everything died down and all the dust settled, uh, he pardoned the guy and paroled him and let him go. And that was the end of the Whiskey Rebellion. But all these guys ran up into the hills, and that was the beginning of the moonshiners and the bootleggers. So President Washington took that power uh, for a national emergency and put it to good use. He also set in place the executive privilege because Congress wanted the secret documents that John Jay had, who was Washington's envoy to Great Britain, and he was negotiating a, a treaty with the British. And, of course, there was a lot of pro-France sentiment in the 1790s because of Napoleonic Wars and the, the war on the continent between uh, France and all the other powers it turned into a world war. We got dragged into it as well a little bit. And he said, no, I'm not going to hand in anything over to Congress. I'm, I'm claiming executive powers. Guess what? The Supreme Court upheld him. They upheld him. The Supreme Court has upheld the power of the president to declare national emergencies. And it doesn't matter what the emergency is. And there's no uh, definition of what is a national emergency. Bill Clinton declared a national emergency to uh, put a clamp on doing business with and money flowing to high-profile drug traffickers in the, in the uh, 1990s. He had another national emergency he declared in Bosnia regarding uh, funds flowing to and from Bosnia. Uh, I mean, presidents have done this off and on throughout the history of our country. President Lincoln tried, uh, and he did several, but one which was extremely egregious to the country was that he suspended the writ of habeas corpus, uh, which means that he wanted to hold people incognito, in prison, uh, without taking them before a judge or giving them any rights uh, to a hearing or a trial. And this was so that he could capture Southern spies and Southern uh, sympathizers and put a clamp down on the, uh, on the amount of information that was flowing out of Washington, D.C. into the South because of all the spies. Well, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. You don't have the right to suspend the writ of habeas corpus, Mr. President. And so that was overturned. Uh, so there's, there are limits to what a president can do, but they have a tremendous amount of power, especially in, in declaring a national emergency. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be that somebody has a hangnail. They can declare a national emergency to address that hangnail. That's within the president's prerogative. And Congress has limited ability to stop the president without having a two-thirds majority. So I don't think that this is going to go anywhere, although it will take uh, a good deal of time to work its way uh, through the courts, probably a year or so, I'm guessing. And it'll ultimately end up in the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court's going to say, well, you know, the president can do what he wants as long as he's uh, meeting the requirements of the 1976 law to report to Congress what it is he's doing. Implicit in the Constitution and explicit in legislation passed by Congress gives the president this power. And you say, well, why should the president have this power and not Congress? 
And, and I think that's, that's a good uh, uh, civics lesson to look at. Well, first of all, a legislative body is deliberative, and it, it is necessarily slow because things are debated, things are kicked back and forth, and votes are taken, committees look at it, and they make recommendations. And then the general body says, well, we don't like that recommendation, go back and give us something else. And you have two houses, which slows things down even more, because then one bill by one house will go to the other house, and the other house has to decide what parts of it they like, and then they get together in joint conference. And you can see where this leads. It's it's time-consuming, it's deliberative, it's uh, necessarily a slower process, and a chief executive officer doesn't have those, those uh, hand ties about him. He doesn't have that, uh, that deliberation and the need for a consensus and a vote hamstringing him. He can move in a hurry. And although the president may use some of this for reasons that you and I may not necessarily like, as long as it's not too egregious, we need to let him do that or her, as the case may be in the future. Why? Because we need to have a chief executive officer who in a real crisis can move and move in a hurry. And if you hamstring him, if you put too many hurdles in the way of getting from point A to B in a crisis, then, uh, you know, we could be in real trouble. I mean, what if we had another attack like 9-11 only on a larger scale by an organized nation? We would need a chief executive officer to immediately take control of the situation and implement the necessary defenses so that we can protect ourselves. We need a chief executive officer in the event of a national disaster like uh, a, a massive volcano or a massive tsunami or a massive earthquake? What if Yellowstone National Park blew its lid? It's a, it's a huge volcano. It would devastate the Western United States, and we would have to have somebody who could take over immediately and be able to marshal the necessary resources around to protect people and to save people that were salvageable. So, we don't want to hamstring our chief executive officer too much. Yes, we do want to have restrictions and limitations, and that's why we have three separate and equal branches of government. And we know that when the executive and legislative branches get into it too deeply, we end up in a civil war. The English had their big civil war in the 16th century over the Stuart King saying that he had the divine right to use the tax money for whatever wars he wanted, and Parliament said, no, you don't. And so they got into a scrap, and the the Stuarts, uh, the, the Crown, fought the, the Puritans under Cromwell, and uh, it, it devastated the country for a generation. We, our revolution, was based on our disagreement with with who was then our chief executive officer, George III. He said, I have the, the right to tell you people what to do. And by the way, you have to pay taxes. And we said, look, Dad, we'll live at home, and we don't mind paying taxes, but we want to vote in household affairs. And he said, no, you're not old enough, you're not ready. And that's when we gave him the bird, and we left. And so chief executive officers have to be careful 
about how uh, forceful and egregious they are. And we have to be careful about how much power we give them. But at the same time, we have to be careful not to take away too much power because we need these guys. And you say, well, the border wall is important. I agree, it is important. Will the country survive with or without a border wall? Yes, it will. Yes, it will. So this is not uh, an existential event, the border wall. It feels like it, you know, because it's a national debate and there's a lot of emotion involved. And you and I, we want a border wall. Most of us do that listen to my show. And my sisters don't want a border wall. And they are very emotional about it. And I, I understand their emotions. I understand where they came from. I grew up in the same household and I went through the same uh, elementary and high school Catholic training that they did. And I had the same liberal parents. But I also know that it's an emotional uh, mindset and it's not an intellectual mindset, that there's no real facts behind their feelings. And although there are facts behind the conservative feelings, there's also a lot of emotion behind it. Now, we've survived over 200 years with uh, Mexico being a neighbor. Uh, and since the Mexican-American War, we've had Mexico as a next-door neighbor. And we have had border disputes, which we have worked out, purchases as well as by war. Uh, and we've also had uh, cross-border problems. The Mexicans have, uh, uh, have not been very good at policing the border and policing their, their banditos in the northern states. And this isn't anything new, the drug traffic, trafficking. Uh, the president sent Blackjack Pershing, General Pershing, down to the border at the turn of the last century because of Pancho Villa, who was coming across the border from Mexico and was holding up banks and robbing little towns. And we've had this kind of problem off and on since we have established a border between our two countries. So there's, there's nothing new here. It's just gotten to a point where it has become so egregious and so uh, prolific that we have to step in and say, wait a minute, we need to slow this down. The drug trafficking, the human trafficking, the illegal criminals that are coming across the border. And by the way, that's not new either. Our criminals, their criminals have been crossing back and forth over the border ever since. So uh, it's just gotten to a level where it's, it's uh, not tolerable for a lot of us. And we don't want to have to pay to house people in jails here that, that are not citizens. I mean, why should we allow these thugs, these criminals to come across the border, commit crimes here, kill, rape, bludgeon, steal, sell drugs on our land and then have to pay to, to feed and clothe and house them for the rest of their lives once we catch them, if we do. So I think there's some good logic to the argument. And basically for me, it's financial. It'll save us money and it'll save a lot of heartbreak as well. Uh, and the, the people on the left say this is a human human rights issue, but they fail to understand that the human rights that are being most uh, seriously damaged are the, are the ones that are being killed by these illegal aliens and, and raped and uh, beat up and, and robbed. I mean, 
these are human rights to live in relative freedom and security. And you can't do that when you got criminals running all over the place. Anarchy just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It ends up in, uh, in communist states like what happened in Russia in the 1917-18 when the, uh, when the elected party was ousted by anarchists and then the communists took over. So this doesn't work. This just it just doesn't work. I mean, uh, it, it's it's not that I have any any dog in the fight here, other than I just don't want to see money and and resources spent uh, silly and needlessly. But it's obvious it doesn't work, and so I'm not going to get into a shouting match with my sisters over this. It, it's it, it's like trying to argue with the wall, you're not going to win because there's not a lot of intellectual thought behind it. It's all emotion and it's all driven by CNN and CNN and teleprompters uh, and uh, news people who sit there and, and read the teleprompter and, and tell you that this is the God's honest truth. These are the facts. And if you hear it on TV or the radio, well, by God, it's got to be true. And I, would caution even my listeners to take what I have to say with a grain of salt and uh, do a little bit of research on your own. So it, it's, it's not something that either side can claim a hundred percent. That is the truth, but certainly there's a lot less truth from what I can see or a lot less factual truth in what the left is saying and, and purporting and putting forward over arguments against the border wall than the right is doing. So I'm, I'm, I'm with the president on this. Uh, I think that he should have stood up earlier on this, but uh, I understand that he did not want to upset the apple cart during the midterm elections and postpone this till after the new year. And he also wanted to give the new Congress a chance to show if they would work with him or not work with him. And he has come to the conclusion that they're not going to work with him, that they don't want to do anything that he wants. They just want to obstruct and slow down the process and impede him. And even if they're for a border wall, they're going to be against it just because he said he was for it. So I think it's uh, a good thing that he's standing up. And I have been saying this for the past couple of years, that he's going to have to be more forceful and more immediate in his actions. And I think that we need to see this in the coming two years before the next election, if we're going to win the, the White House again in 2020. So that's my take on that. And with that, I'm going to grab a cup of Joe. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Authorities say a felony conviction for assault in Mississippi should have prevented Gary Martin from buying the gun he used to shoot and kill five co-workers when he was fired at an Illinois job site last week. Officials say Martin had a history of violent behavior but passed an initial background check. His firearm owner's ID card was only invalidated when he applied for a concealed carry permit, but he already had the gun that he used this past Friday. Attorneys for Empire actor Jesse Smollett 
are rejecting reports alleging he played a role in his own attack and says anyone who believes otherwise says otherwise is lying. Smollett claimed that he was assaulted by two men who shouted homophobic and racial slurs last month. Chicago police are now investigating whether he staged it. And the U.S.-backed Syrian militia fighting ISIS in its last toehold in Syria says there are over a 1,000 civilians being held by the terrorists. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments, so call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. It's so nice now that the kids are asleep. Cheers. We got the kids, our house, a stable income. Checking off all the boxes. But there's one box we haven't checked off. What's that? Life insurance. We don't need to think about that now. We're young. That's why now is the best time. Life insurance gets more expensive the older you get. But I don't have time to do a blood test. It's such a hassle to meet with someone just to get a quote. Not with Ethos. Ethos? It's a modern kind of life insurance. You just answer four quick questions at getethos.com and get a free instant quote. No pushy salespeople. And no medical exams required for policies covering under a million dollars. You can apply online in just 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Let's do it. Hmm. But then what will we do for the rest of the night? I'm sure we can think of something. (laughs) Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. GetEthos.com. Hey, America, is there anything you're truly proud of? How about becoming an aviation maintenance technician? In just 14 months, you'll be watching the metal birds that you just repaired soar back into the sky. At National Aviation Academy, we train ordinary men and women to do extraordinary things. Call 800-659-2080 or visit wingmenwanted.com. I can't think of anything else to be more proud of. For more information about our statistics, visit naa.edu slash success. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Mostly sunny and warm today with a temperature approaching the record of 83 last reached in 1995. High today, 82. Mostly cloudy and warm tonight, low 67. Warm for Monday with a temperature approaching the record of 84 last reached in 1990 with sunshine and patchy clouds, high 83. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Maddie Baggett for AM860, The Answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill. A little bit of MIA, the Borders song. And uh, I'm taking it that she's talking about the Israeli-Palestinian borders. It looked like in the video that's where she was shooting, but I don't know. So, at any rate, 
we talked about the border. I think I've pretty much put that to rest and I've answered all your questions and given all the arguments and laid out the legality of what the president is doing. But I wanted to shift over uh, to some international issues. Now, the, the Chinese have a surveillance firm that's been tracking the movements of two and a half million people in the far western region of Zhejiang, which uh, is in the northwestern part of China. Now, this is a semi-autonomous region, and its uh, majority population is Muslim. Needless to say, uh, China has had its problems with Muslim terrorists, just as we have and Europe has and the Russians have. You just don't hear that much about it because they don't broadcast it. So there's an online database that contains uh, names, ID cards, birth dates, locations, uh, so on and so forth, facial recognition technology. And apparently this was uh, accessible by the public and this came to the uh, to the attention of, of a Dutch internet sleuth, and he has brought this out to the press, and um, Reuters has picked up on this. And I guess that there has been some international outcry from rights organizations in the United Nations that the Chinese should stop doing this and should treat these people better. And they have about 6.7 million location data points linked to the people. Uh, and this was gathered just within 24 hours in descriptions like mosque, hotel, internet, cafe. And they've also put up a number of surveillance cameras um, around the province and in certain parts of it. And anybody could get into this, at, at least uh, initially. The company that was doing this, a private company in China that was doing this as a government contract, uh, has agreed to uh, tighten up their security. So similar to what we have had in this country with our social media and uh, cell phone tracking and so on and so forth, a cry from the, uh, from the people to stop doing this. But, of course, it's not going to stop at least at the uh, secretive level. Now, the the area has been granted some unusual privileges that most of the country of China doesn't have, that religious schools were pretty much outlawed once the communists came in, but uh, special provisions have been made for the Islamic uh, peoples in this northwestern state to send their children to uh, religious schools and to mosque for Sunday school or whatever you want to call it. And it's it's created problems as as Islam does. It is a very monolithic religion that says that we're right, everybody else is wrong, and to get everybody to see our side, we're going to do whatever we have to do. And so there has been a lot of terrorism in, in China, and it's not tolerated. Um, although, like in any big country with a huge population, it's tough to control everything. I mean, you, you just can't have eyes on everybody. These websites, which is run by SenseNets, S-E-N-S-E-N-E-T-S, works with China's police across several cities, and they use this facial recognition technology in the airports as well, I'm pretty sure. Well, 
the Chinese government has ramped up personal surveillance over recent years because of the increase in terrorism, uh, Islamic fundamentalism and terrorism. And this has become uh, a real rub between the, I guess, I don't know if you would call it the left and the right in China. I don't know who's the left and who's the right. I'm going to guess that the right now in China is the government, that it's really more of a fascist government than it is a communist government. And the left are the are the liberals who want more freedom and uh course, along with that comes socialism and all the other things that the uh, the left sees as part of their inherent right. Uh, of course, I don't have a problem with more personal freedom. That doesn't bother me. Uh, I'm all for that. And I think the Chinese deserve more personal freedom. Uh, the president has pretty much declared him. President Xi has pretty much had the party vote him in as the president for life. So like Erdogan in Turkey, um, he has much more executive power than one would think he should have in a country that size. And, of course, we'd like to see a two-party or three-party system there instead of a one-party system. But there's only one party allowed. Sound like anything else we know? Yeah, it's uh, Nazi Germany. But it's more efficient. You know, their economy has been able to grow at a pace that has been uh, unprecedented in, in recorded history because the, the federal government in China can pretty much dictate how things will be and what the economy will and will not do and how much money will be in circulation. Uh, now, as it gets more complex, it requires much more brain power and input and computing, and there will be a lot more people involved. So. It's a, it's, a, it's a little bit deceiving to say that the communists have absolute control. Uh, they have control of the military somewhat, although the military is more independent in China than it is in the United States because of the way we have structured our military. And the uh, Chinese military is, as in most countries, much more conservative, that is, much more likely to hold on to the past, the the communist way of life under uh, Mao and Deng and uh, and now our current President Xi, who's the head of the Communist Party in China. So there are certainly some conflicts that are going on in China, in addition to the problems they're having with terrorism in their northwestern state. And they do have uh, small pockets of Islamic populations throughout the country. There was a, a fairly good-sized population of Muslims in uh, Xi'an, the old ancient capital that we visited a couple of years ago. And uh, we went through that part of town and saw the old mosque and, and the, uh, the, the typical bazaar. Uh, this was on the Silk Route. It was the tail end of the Silk Route, actually, Xi'an. So the Silk Route went through the Gobi Desert and went through this northwestern state in China. And uh, along with all of the goods that came across the the uh, Silk Road, the, there also came conquerors, um, Muslims, Mughals, uh, Turk, Turkmans, different people. And along with them, they brought Islam into China and uh, have at various times, attempted to 
express their autonomy and authority. And the Chinese are not real happy with the, 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 the ethnic Chinese, the Han, H-A-N people. They're not real happy with that. And they even tried to uh, populate this province in the Northwest with ethnic Han so that there would be more ethnic Chinese than there would be uh, Turkmen's, and that that would dilute down the, the power and the, uh, the influence of, of the Islamics in the northwestern state. And they've done the same thing in Tibet. And there's actually very few Tibetans actually living in Tibet anymore. They're mostly ethnic Hans, ethnic Chinese that have been uh, incentivized to move up there. So, you know, do you think that we're the only country that, that incentivizes people to do things? Well, that's not true. Uh, the, the communists incentivized people to move to Tibet, to move to the northwestern state that was predominantly Muslim, to move into the Gobi Desert to farm it. And uh, so the, the, the fundamentals are basically the same. It's just the way in which they're administered and the amount of freedom that goes along with it. And I think that the Chinese are going to have to allow more personal freedom and ultimately have a two or multi-party system if they're going to continue to survive or they're going to tear themselves apart. At some point, the population is going to say, wait a minute, this is just not working. We have the freedom to move around the country. We have the freedom to go into whatever a profession we want or get a whatever job we want to make money to buy a house to buy an apartment and uh, why can't we have the freedom to decide who we want to be our legislators so that is coming and there is an undertone in the country but at the same time how do you counteract the terrorism well i mean you do it the same way that we're doing it by using facial recognition cameras and uh, spying on people especially people that you think are potential threats to the security of the country potential terrorists and you root them out and you remove them the chinese are free or i should say they have a freer hand to remove these people from society because with a one-party system, they can quickly enact legislation that gives the executive branch the power to do what it wants to do in order to protect the country. Now, this takes me back to a conversation I had with a, a Turkish guy on the cruise ship last fall. Um, he was the head of the uh, concierge lounge in the restaurant there. Nice guy, bright guy family man. Um, and we were talking about Turkey and Erdogan and the fact that Erdogan had basically taken over as a semi-dictator and that they were imposing Sharia law. And I said, I'm not sure that this is going to be good for the country. And he said, yeah, but it's what the majority wants. So it's, it's again, a question of what kind of democracy do you want? Do you want an absolute majority democracy or do you want a democracy that, rec that recognizes the rights of the minorities? And where do we begin and end recognition of those rights? In China, it ends when you cause trouble. 
And if you're uh, an ethnic or religious subgroup in China and you cause trouble, well, you're going to be sequestered, you're going to be watched, and you're going to be um, arrested quickly, and you'll disappear. In the United States, uh, we have a little bit more uh, lumbersome process whereby if you're a terrorist and you commit some act within the borders of the United States and you're caught, you're going to be uh, arrested and put on trial and sent to prison or uh, executed depending upon the crime and where you committed it and under which jurisdiction you're in, you're involved uh, or you're acting in. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit different here, but we do have certain abilities to, under national emergencies, to seize people and hold them, but you can't hold them uh, without taking them to court for arraignment, as President Lincoln found out. China's uh, a really fascinating country. I want to go back and see more of it. Uh, as I've said before, they've got their problems. The Gobi Desert, because it was stripped of its topsoil by the farming in the 60s and 70s to try to feed the country, is extending eastward at about 50 miles a year. And Beijing it will very soon be taken over by the Gobi. They already have sandstorms in Beijing. And even in Seoul, South Korea, which is uh, across the little sea there, uh, from northern China, you can see the dust coming off of the Gobi Desert, similar to the dust we see coming off of the Sahara uh, into the Caribbean. Uh, and uh, th- they've got a big problem. They've got a big problem with that. And they're also having a housing bust. And I reported on this a couple of years ago after we came back that there were dozens of, of high-rise condos and apartment buildings that were two-thirds of the way completed and then left empty. And they're having this problem around the bigger cities now because the market is glutted and the prices have gotten too high and they have overbuilt. The speculators have come in and have taken chances and many of them are going to lose. So they're at the top of their bubble and it's affecting different parts of the country at different times. Their economy is slowing down because of what we're doing because of our demand that they treat us more equitably in trade. And so as their exports to the United States and Canada and Mexico uh, are either taxed more heavily so that there is more equity and parity in, in the cost of goods made domestically versus those imported from China, and as there is more reluctance on Americans and Canadians and Mexicans part to buy Chinese goods while their economy is slowing down. And although it's still in a positive growth mode, uh, for them it's uh, a mini recession because they have so much catching up to do because of the, uh, the economic and climactic and agricultural damage that was done to the country by the Japanese, and then by the communists who followed. So it's fascinating to see. It's fascinating to see that they are doing a lot of the same things that we're doing. They're just doing it with, uh, with, with less legislative uh, 
hurdles to jump, less judicial hurdles to jump, uh, but not a lot of difference. And they're having a lot of the same problems that any country has, whether it's capitalist or communist. They're having their problems with terrorism, with uh, boom bust, with uh, real estate bubbles and tech bubbles and all kinds of things. So uh, it, it'll be fun to see which way that goes. I, I'm enjoying watching how China develops, and I wish them the best. By the way, the the uh, Turk, Turk, Turkestan, uh, the Turkish Muslim people in the northwestern state of, of China have been stirred up by none other than the Soviets and the Russians uh, in an attempt to destabilize China. And I'm sure that the Chinese have stirred up the Muslim population, or they did at one time in the former Soviet Union. And um, Chechnya, which is still part of this of, of Russia, is also heavily Muslim. And I'm sure that the Chinese have went in there and stirred those folks up against the Russians. So uh, it's 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 interesting to see how the common enemy of these two countries has become a weapon against each other over the past several decades. And I don't know that anybody has come out a winner per se, but it certainly is worth watching. And and I think it's a good message to the Islamic population, even in the United States, to be careful about using religion as your main weapon and not not blending in. And I've said this to the Catholic and Jewish side of the family as well. We're Americans first, and then we have our religion, and that the Constitution is the top document, and then the, the, the Bible, the Koran, the Torah, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, whatever it is, whatever holy scriptures you read, they fall under the Constitution because the Constitution is the umbrella that protects all of these. So I would be very careful. I would be very careful. And I would, I would say to my Muslim friends, uh, as I would say to the Jewish side of the family, tone it down, tone it down. Uh, you know, there's, there's no reason to kill each other over God. There's no reason to tear a country apart over uh, perceived spiritual, religious, moral beliefs. Uh, let's work it out. Let's, let's hang in there and take a look at, at what we're saying and doing to each other. It's important. Getting close to the end here, are we, Bill? So about a minute and change now. Uh, Bill, I want to know on this beautiful day today, what are you going to do when you get out of the studio? I, I'm going to enjoy the, the short answer is I'm going to enjoy it. I may just sit back and uh, watch the uh, great American race on the TV by the pool. There you go. Well, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to go do some more painting and, and caulking and patching up of the house. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> All right, man. So what, we got about 30 seconds. 50. 50 seconds left. Oh my God. I got to fill this in. All right. So I had a Canadian come in. Poor guy came in. Uh, he had a lung cancer cut out several months ago. Came in. He'd been on antibiotics. Still wasn't getting any better. Coughing and wheezing. And we gave him some more. And then all of a sudden, he's even worse and he ends up in the hospital. And my 
my reply to that was, thank God for the Canadian healthcare system because it's keeping me in business. You know, they're just, I don't know what it is. They're just not taking care of their people the way they should or the people aren't taking care of themselves. But thank you. Thank you very much, Canada. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, and I'll see you guys next week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.